Take the guesswork out of your cannabis shopping with the ECS DNA kit by Endocana Health. If you take pride in your canna nerdiness or are just canna curious, this kit empowers you to find more about the best cannabis choices. Right now, you can save 25% off your DNA test at endodna.com using promo code POD25. Your purchase includes the Endo DNA Collection Kit, Endo Decoded Report, personalized cannabinoid and terpene suggestions, and Endo Align products matching in your state. There will also be suggested dosage guidelines and optimum methods for inhalation or usage. Once you know your personal ECS data, you can shop Endo supplements tailored specifically for you. And right now, Endo DNA is celebrating their new patent with a buy one, get one offer on their Afika soft gel lineup. And since I know that many of you struggle with sleep, I want to highlight Afika Unwind, created to support health sleep cycles using patented proprietary formulations of hemp-derived CBD, terpenes, and essential oils. If sleep is eluding you, sweet dreams are in your future. Buy one for yourself and get one for a friend at endodna.com. And don't forget promo code POD25 at the checkout for 25% off your DNA test kit. Welcome to the Cannamom Show. Are you interested in hearing inspiring cannabis stories told by real cannamoms and caregivers who are breaking barriers and building businesses in the emerging cannabis industry? Well, this is the show for you. I'm Joyce Gerber, and normally I'm your host, but today we are trying something new. My canna sister and co-host Amy Searles and I have given up our seats at the podcast table for my friend Asia Atwood, CEO and founder of Trella Technologies. We're calling today's episode The Climate Cannabis Connection. And if this works out, which I'm sure it will, Asia will be hosting her own podcast regularly, speaking with people with big ideas and big brains so we can learn how cannabis can heal not just us, but our planet. So Asia, the mic is yours. Thanks, Joyce. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Um, So welcome to the Cannabis and Climate Connection. Uh, The cannabis industry is a living, breathing experiment in innovation. But as we innovate on the production, sale, and consumption of cannabis, climate change threatens our planet, our plants, and our lives. The Cannabis and Climate Connection is a place where we highlight a diverse range of topics with individuals who share an affinity for cannabis, the health of our planet, and the health of its inhabitants, as we are all connected. I'm Asia Atwood. I'm also known as a wife, entrepreneur, engineer, cannabis patient, and advocate. I spent over 15 years in the corporate world as a natural catastrophe risk engineer and team leader. I'm currently the CEO and co-founder of Trello Technologies, where we develop innovative tech solutions to promote the growth of a sustainable indoor farming industry. And it was back in 2013 that I began to learn about the countless healing benefits of the cannabis plant. And as an engineer, I knew there was a space in this industry for me and others as well. And now I can use this platform to create that space. So today, I'm thrilled to introduce our very first guest. Yay! Yay. She's an experienced, large-scale cultivator, cannabis advocate, and CEO of Four Trees Management Company. Four Trees works internationally with cultivators of all sizes to get them up and running fast and scaling rapidly. Four Trees has won two back-to-back New England Harvest Cups for Best Indoor Flower with their strain, Davy Jones, 
and will be opening a cultivation and retail store in Holyoke, Mass. during the summer of 2020. And with that, I'd like to welcome Noni Goldman to the Cannabis and Climate Connection. Hey welcome, guys. Noni. Welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm so stoked Good. to be here. I'm stoked to have you. Thank you very much um, for taking some time out of your busy day, a busy schedule, CEO of Four Trees, getting your own license, doing a lot of other stuff we're going to cover. I know you're busy, so I'm thrilled to have you. Thank you. Oh, well, thanks for having me. Um, I'm so honored to be your first guest. Uh, and especially with the focus of being climate change, I think that that's something that we all really need to be focused on. It touches every part, every industry, every human being on this world uh, needs to have a focus on it, especially as a cultivator. You know, our hands are in the soil, so really excited to get into it. Great. Yeah. So as am I. And we definitely want to make sure that we cover that, the, the topic of climate and cannabis. But before we get into that, I want to talk about the Harvest Cup and <laughs> this award that you've won two years in a row wow. with this uh, strain called Davy Jones. So yes. for, for those of you that may be listening, the Harvest Cup uh, is a convention, a trade show that happens here in Massachusetts in the Worcester area. Um, I think this was year number four. Uh, this was the third year. The third year. OK, yeah. so th they had their third year just a couple of weeks ago. Um, and at the Harvest Cup, there's always a who has the best product. A challenge, yeah. and it's a, a highly sought, well-respected, especially in the New England area, award to win. And and Four Trees won the in the best indoor flower. Yep, yep. Two years in a row. Yep. So the we we won Davy Jones, and I, I'm gonna I'm gonna stretch we, but Arthur Brownsey, who is our lead cultivator, um, my business partner at Four Trees, uh, we met uh, starting up Farming Candice's uh, indoor facility and scaling up. Uh, but he is such an amazing grower, such a, a thoughtful approach to cultivation and permaculture and regenerative practices, but also just like a bomb geneticist. Uh, so Davy Jones is a Kemi Jones S1. The first year, Davy Jones also took home uh, highest potency at mm. 27%. Whoa. Uh, the second year, uh, I don't know, I, I don't remember if it got the highest potency, but it was definitely a crowd favorite. Mm. So winning two back-to-back -back Harvest Cups with the exact same cut, uh, that's proof of concept right there. So we built our cultivation uh, facility as a, a sandbox environment for our consulting, but also for our genetics. Yeah, and there's consistency in there, too. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, to get that award for two years in a row, and I think that's one of the many challenges that dispensaries and cultivators have is giving their patients, their clients, customers the same, yeah. you know, experience yeah, time yeah. and time again. And that was something that was really instilled. Um, so my first grow was a big medical grow, and that was something that we were constantly getting from uh, patient feedback. Like, this is working so well for me. Can you guarantee this will be available to me whenever I need it? Uh, so paring down, um, our our cultivation was always uh, modeled around uh, like Japanese lean design. Mm -hmm. uh, so really making the thoughtful decisions about what to grow, when to grow it, so that Custom, uh, medical patients would never be without. Great. Yeah, that's awesome. So when we talk about indoor flower, the, you know, for people that might not be familiar with the, the terms, why are we distinguishing between indoor versus outdoor? Um, and, you know, there's some talk, some people believe that outdoor is far superior to indoor. I would like to know, do you agree? And then to get some other, fee you know, some other comments on indoor versus out. Um, well, I, I don't know if I would go so far as to take a stand be, uh, 
with what's superior and what not. They're very different. They're very different methodologies. And growing outdoors is different depending on what your climate is. Uh, so in the New England region, you can really pull down one harvest before the frost and the winter take you out. You can't grow outside. Uh, but in, you know, different climates, you can, you have much less risk of those kind of environmental factors. There's climates that are more agreeable to growing uh, the cannabis plant just as a plant. Uh, so far as the quality of it, um, it that I think that depends more on the grower. Uh, what I can say just from a someone who creates pro formas for a living uh, and does a projected revenue, uh, it is much less risky to grow indoors um, at a repeatable 5.6 harvest a year um, at, a, at a large scale. But I love outdoors. I grow outdoors in my home grow. Because why wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so I think it's just a little different. And when you're growing outdoors, you can really adopt a lot of um, other traditional agricultural methodologies like permaculture, uh, water reclamation. Um, you know, uh, you can really pay attention to the the food web, feeding your soil instead of your plant. Uh, what my focus in at the Four Trees facility is really about. Uh, how sustainable can you be in an indoor environment with uh, conservative use of uh, energy and water? Yeah. Um, so it's just a different methodology. Got you, got you. And as one of my um, friends, uh, Mickey Bennett from Healing Tree Edible says, with indoor, you can play God. Yeah. And, 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 and that, <laughs> yeah, you can. <laughs> and, and that's one of the differences. But with, with that, I guess, you know, control comes some costs. And one yeah. of them are that indoor uh, farming is known to be a lot more um, unfriendly to our, our you know, our, our carbon um, footprint and um, our overall, uh, you know, impact on our global warming, et cetera. Yeah. And it really seems to be driven by uh, the lights, you know, the, the, mm-hmm. the, the lighting system that you install. One of the things that we can't duplicate indoors that we have the benefit of outdoors is that we can use the sun mm-hmm. to grow our plants. But when you bring those plants indoors, now you're trying to duplicate or replicate, rather, the strength of the sun which comes with a lot of energy and a lot of heat. So can you talk a little bit about yep. how Four Trees tries to manage that? Yep. So uh, I've grown under a bunch of different lights. Uh, in a greenhouse environment, we were using traditional HPSs. Um, so HPS is kind of like the uh, the more traditional route for uh, controlled environment agriculture. Um, the, the lighting is a big draw, but I would say the uh, energy use, uh, but I would say the biggest draw of energy use is really what you're using for your dehumidification. So uh, the main difference between HPS and LED is um, really about the heat that it gives off. Um, So LEDs give off much less heat. If you're using HPSs, you give off a lot of heat. So uh, a lot of your facility design is going into the uh, mitigation of the humidity and the heat, um, pumping in air conditioning. taking out some of that humidity by raising, you know, raising up the temperature, lowering the temperature. Uh, So all those systems kind of work together. Um, When you're growing indoor, uh, you are playing God and you do, you are, you personally are in charge of making sure all of your environmental conditions are uh, something that the plant actually wants. So making sure that it can transpire at the right rate, looking at the relative humidity and the vapor pressure deficit. Those are all things that you have to create the universe for. Um, Making smarter decisions about uh, 
automatic irrigation, um, drip irrigation, so that you're watering the root zone and stuff instead of just like the top layer of soil that reduces your humidity. Uh, so all these little decisions that you can make um, really help not only your utility bill, mm. uh, but also your overall uh, impact on the power grid, um, your local water table, um, all little things like that. Yeah. But it is, I, I agree with I agree with Mickey, it is like playing God. It's yeah. fun, but also it can be really frustrating. Yeah, because there's so many different variables that you yeah. have to control. Yeah. And, and all of those pieces of equipment indoor they all require power. That power uh, gets its, you know, gets it from a some sort of a power plant, and that usually can be, you know, uh, diesel or natural gas. These are all fossil fuels. Yeah. So the more that we're using power indoors, the more that we're actually causing some damage to to the to the uh, to the earth. So um, definitely wanted to, you know, let people know that there are options. There are ways that we can do better at it. We can be more efficient with, yeah. you know, the equipment that we use. We can be smarter. We can be lean. Yeah. Um, as you mentioned. Um, but um, have do you have any kind of comments on you know the fact that indoor flower maybe has a different cost than outdoor flower? Yeah. Um, so. I think a lot of that tied too is, uh, you know, if you have an idea to start a cultivation center, there's a lot of bureaucracy that goes with it. Uh, so sometimes it's not even an option for you to be an outdoor grower. Sometimes you have to grow indoors. Um, for what, how we like to grow at Four Trees, uh, we're using uh, GS Thermo Liquid Cooled LEDs. Um, and we've had a really great relationship with this group of guys out of Connecticut where we publish white papers about spectral control um so what we've been able to do with the liquid cooled leds is not only uh use the liquid cooled leds to both give us the appropriate spectrum of light and to modify uh, the intensity of it for different uh uh, stages of plant development, but also to reclaim the condensate from our dehumidification units, run that through an RO, and then use that into our system. Uh, but then also the next step that we're doing is reclaiming the heat from um, being captured to the LEDs down to uh, our underbench heating mm. so that we can adequately warm the root zone. So you have to um this is a, this is a brand new industry and all these cool tools but uh there's definitely room for almost like a maker space yeah uh just perspective about um cultivating in general yeah um so so far as like the difference between the price to produce um if you're not making innovative uh, decisions in your grow, yeah, it's going to cost you a lot more. Uh, but a lot of that too is like, how can I get my nutrient costs? Do I mix my own fertilizers down? Uh, what are my vendor arrangements with all of my other um, propagation materials? Uh, what town am I in that has a better utility usage? That's primarily the reason why we're in Holyoke. It's the cheapest place to grow mm. in the entire Commonwealth. Plus, it has its own uh, power grid. Mm. So if there's a storm out, Holyoke will still have its lights on. Which can, I, is, can I ask a question just about that? I'm yeah. kind of fascinated because I know that Holyoke, he's been very, Alex Morse, the mayor there, has been very great. supportive. So the low cost, is that just the nature of Holyoke is an inexpensive city? Or is that something that was intentional? So Holyoke was uh, uh, the first purpose-built city, um, I think, uh, I don't know if the United States, but definitely New England, where that city was built around the different paper manufacturers that were popping up ar around the canal and the Connecticut River. Um, so their 
obviously when that industry moved out, uh, there was all this infrastructure, all these different paper mills. So one of the most expensive, uh, where you're spending your capital for starting up a cannabis cultivation center is really about real estate. So right away, Holyoke had agreeable zoning. It had all this empty uh, real estate, all these old paper mills that um, the town itself was very receptive to being repurposed for cannabis cultivation. Um, but then also the utility rates of Holyoke, just because it was producing its own electricity, um, it was just a win-win-win. That's amazing. That's it. I mean, do you find that ironic that the paper mills are now cannabis mills? Uh, or cannabis I, 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 facilities? I, I love it. Uh, it's the, the rolling paper city now. <laughs> the rolling paper city. That's awesome. That's awesome. Thank you. And... Um, but let's talk about like residential. Do you do any residential growing? Do you have any experience, you or anyone in, on the team? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that was another. So I'm originally from New York. One of the main reasons why we moved to Massachusetts, number one, um, New York, it's not possible to have a small business cannabis. You mm. just, the barriers of entry are too high. It's only multi state operators, which is the world that I come from, but I also really believe in small business. Uh, so the number one, that's the reason why we're here. But the other one is it's a homegrown state. Mm. Like it's um, it's really tough being a cultivator uh, in a state that you can't homegrow because that's like. It's your testing ground. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm not going to push this. I'm not going to deploy uh, like all this capital to scale this out without trying it out first. Uh, and you can do that at a, at a small scale. But, you know, if you're working for a big multi-state operator, um you have a lot of people to answer to. Uh, I really like going into my garden, popping beans, and then like asking questions later. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, homegrown. I'm not growing anything homegrown now just because of where my apartment uh, in Worcester is. Uh, but I, I have enjoyed in previous locations uh, really great outdoor. Yeah. Yeah. And here you can like, uh, especially growing outdoor, you can do uh, like rain barrel collecting. Mm -hmm. You can hook up your gutters. Like you can, if you've got the right sca sco um, uh, scope of your land, you can put in like a permaculture swale. You can think about cover crops and companion plotting. Um, you can do uh, no-till. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you can do all these really cool things that uh, really bump up your, uh, if you're thinking about in scale, it would make your product uh, much more expensive, and the customer eventually has to make up that difference. And you know, right now, a lot of um, a lot of newer consumers are really just looking for what's cheap. Mm. So there's a lot of things to consider. But in homegrown, you can really just like baby your plants. Yeah, you definitely can. But there are some people that you know they may not have access to a, a garden or an outdoor space, so yeah. they're growing inside of grow tents or in a closet. Yeah. And, and trying to make the, the best out of what they've got. Can I ask, um, can I ask like a novice question? I just, I've never tried, I'm a terrible, I have no green thumb, like literally none. I can't grow anything. But um, what is the difference, like when you talk about if there's a difference between outdoor and indoor, is there, because there are elements outside that you can't control, is that the difference or is it deeper than that? <laughs> so the, the main difference, um, I think, between indoor and outdoor is uh, just, you're if you're growing outdoor, you're basically just uh, mimicking what traditional agriculture can do. Okay. So you've got to have it out before, uh, after the first frost, uh, or after the first frost morning, so that you can take um, 
full complement of the growing season. You've got to uh, figure out uh, like what time and as the season ends in October, like when do I need to pull these down before it gets too cold or gets too rainy and mold starts to grow. Um, so you really have to be much more in tune with how the rest of the agricultural industry um, operates outdoors. Indoors, you can grow continuously whenever you want. Um, you just shift your lights um, from veg to flower. Uh, the the difference in quality, um, I think that outdoor has amazing uh, quality if you're a good grower. Uh, same, same with indoor, except with indoor, you can do a lot of like really funky stuff to your plants just because you are playing god <laughs> you have the ability to like ranch up different spectrum of lights uh, you can um uh, test out different uh, nutrient feeds and you can do the same thing outdoors too except i think one of the appeal of growing outdoors is that you don't have to if you don't want to you can i mean the worst kept secret in cannabis is that it's super easy to grow so if you wanted to you could just pop some seasons around outside and uh, usually that first successful harvest is the one that uh, uh, makes you addicted to trying it again yeah Yeah. (laughs) all right maybe i I can grow this yeah Yeah, you you can do it you can do it (laughs) i I do think it's easy to grow a a cannabis plant i mean it is it does have a term of weed for a reason Mm -hmm. it can take a lot it's gotta do it (laughs) it can take a lot but to do it efficiently, I think, and repeatedly with yes. consistency, that's when the skill and the and it takes a lot, a lot more brain power. Um, but I think that also kind of yeah. speaks to um, the need of some of the people that are trying to get into this industry through the social equity program here in Massachusetts. Yep. Um, you know, there may be people who are growing at home and that's their experience, but now they're trying to build a business. They're trying yeah. to be sustainable, efficient. The CCC has a great program um, for the social, social equity um, applicants where they're actually partnering with companies like Four Trees uh, to help them, you know, to help the new people that are coming in that want to build these businesses have some guidance, some support. Yeah. Um, so can you talk about, about you know, your role in this social equity program? That's yeah. pretty cool and amazing, too. Oh, I'm I'm so stoked about it. Um, I, again, one of the reasons why we moved to Massachusetts from New York uh, to start our business here uh, was because these opportunities, like, they just don't exist. Um, uh, previous to being full-time at Four Trees, I was uh, the technical writer for Flourish Seat to Sale Software. So in that capacity, I was helping lots of different early stage businesses, um, business planning, starting out. And uh, it's it's tribal knowledge, uh, I think, at this point about how real large-scale operators like lean design operators uh, really evolve. And it is a huge um, learning curve from going from your six or 12 plants in your home grow to now pushing out 10,000 plants um pulling uh my my most my largest most consistent harvest was about 2900 pounds every week wow. uh, and i remember this specifically cuz i needed to remember like what what is 2900 pounds oh it's a dodge neon yeah. so i'm pulling down like every, every week, week every, every week. week i was oh pulling down God. a dodge neon um, <laughs> and that's like i i like to use that as a frame of reference for people who uh, i'm talking to you about starting a cannabis business because you have to think like that Mm, Um, you have to think how can I pull down a Dodge Neon every week and a lot of that is production scheduling uh, lean design um, having a really structured uh, you know three-week veg cycle nine-week harvest picking the right genetics that fit within that production Uh, it also depends on what you're growing for so if you're growing for flour you're going to want the right 
uh, cannabinoid profiles and the ter terpene profiles, but you're also going to want to keep a really tight uh, view on your uh, grams per square foot. Mm. Um, same thing if you're if you're building for manufacturing uh, in New York. We were just we couldn't sell flour, so we were just we were just growing for uh, manufacturing. So for that one, I needed to work really closely with our uh, our labs and our um, you know our our uh, formulations. Uh, so that we could work together to supply what they eventually needed for their supply chain. Yeah. So, like, it's just different. Yeah. <laughs> and there's so much to consider. So has that, has that started yet? Have you guys been coupled with any companies yet, or so is that still in the ramp-up mode? It's it's The program in and of itself is uh, it's, it's a couple of months, so it's uh, about a month in. Um, our component, because there are different tracks, uh, our component deals with uh, first entry-level cultivation, so all the technical skills that you would need to master as a cultivation technician. So good agricultural practices, uh, propagation, uh, pruning, harvesting, plant monitoring, uh, overall plant health. Um, the next class that we're teaching is advanced cultivation, and that has to do with production scheduling and lean design and supply chain. Um, and then the third class that we're teaching is all of the laboratory tests that cultivators can expect to be a part of because mm -hmm. that, that one is also really important. So... Massachusetts has the highest requirements for testing, uh, especially of heavy metals and res residual solvents. And what that does, in effect, is there are products, fertilizers, uh, soil amendments, uh, rooting hormones that you can use in other states that you can't use in Mass. Mm. And that's, uh, it's, you know, I, I don't, I, I'm not comfortable to say that it's, not safe so like other states using it are wrong and massachusetts is right because i, I don't know if that's true mm -hmm. but it's definitely something to stay in compliance you can't use in massachusetts Got you. um so that's uh <laughs> that's something that a lot of cultivators uh who are first getting into the industry don't understand the other one too this just happened where in massachusetts how a metric which is the record of truth for your seed to sale compliance your pack your uh, harvest allotment, your size of how big your harvest is in Massachusetts is 10 pounds. Mm. So you have to harvest, you have to take a laboratory test at every 10, 10 pounds. pounds. In California, that's not right. That they, they have, like, your harvest is whatever your harvest is. Yeah, so you were doing 2,900 pounds a yeah. week in New York, right? <laughs> yeah. And that Whoa. would be what, what is that? So each... <laughs> 290 tests? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> at $496 a test. Wow. So a lot a of, lot. yeah, so a lot of what we're talking to with the social equity program is like, here's a, here's here's what it's like. Here's what it's really like. Here's what you have to budget for. Mm. So if you know how to grow, that's great. That's the first step. But this is how you run the business. What's the rationale behind that? Uh... <laughs> I don't know exactly. It's it doesn't make it doesn't make a lot of sense other than we all have to kind of follow those rules. Uh, what you can find with metric being operational in a bunch of different states is that they are different in all the states. Mm. Well, this is what I keep hearing from my compliance friends, and even even the um, tracking of the plants in California. Yes, the excessiveness of the tracking, like it, it's literally each plant, right? Not by rows or not by groups. Well, yeah. that's that's true in every state. Oh, is that how it works? Yeah, everywhere? yeah. That uh, seems like a lot too. Yeah. Well, you you kind of labor intensive, right? It, it is, it is, but it's also um, uh, the one one plant tag per plant doesn't really, um, I, I think that makes a lot of sense if you're organizing, especially if you have 10,000 plants. Like mm. uh, if you mislabel one, if you think that that's a plant that's a certain genetic and it 
and it goes through app production and then you're taking analytics for it later and you're like wait this is not right (laughs) (laughs) this is not right at all that messes everything up so keeping everything organized like that is fine Um, but I think that where you kind of get into where regulations and uh, arbitrary compliance gets in the way of operations, mm-hmm. um, especially when there are models of success in other states that for whatever reason just don't, that's not how we do it here. I don't think that makes a lot of sense. Right. So t- thinking of different models in different states, like I know in Massachusetts, we have an, like a, an energy use or a light usage limit, yep. depending on the size of your license. Uh, so what is that again? Thirty six. So it's thirty six uh, for every square foot, I think. Yeah, and yeah. is that dependent on if you're a larger scale cultivator? If you're smaller, you yeah. can use fifty watts per square foot. Yeah. So for the people that are just trying to figure out, that's how much wattage is how much you know power your lights are using over mm-hmm. a certain square footage. So the the higher the number, the more power you're using. The lower the number, the less power we're using. Mm-hmm. So the the state of Massachusetts, I think it was really pushed by Governor Baker. Yeah. Um, was that if you're going to do this on a large scale, I think it's over like ten thousand square feet license or something. I'm not sure. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, you have to keep that down to thirty six watts per square foot. But if you're a smaller scale company just getting your foot off the ground, you're allowed to go up to 50. Um, and and I, I like that. Yeah, uh, I agree. That I rule. like that. Yeah, but d- 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 I did remember when it first came out, there were some people that were concerned that that might be hard to hit. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, so it's going to be hard to hit if you use HPS. Mm-hmm. <laughs> almost almost impossible to hit if you use HPS. Um, so the I, Massachusetts has always been on the forefront of um, progressive changes, uh, especially when it comes to um, energy. So uh, I wasn't surprised at all that Massachusetts pushed those regulations because they don't exist in other states. Um, but specific to what they were asking for was really like to hit that 36 means you have to adapt means you have to make thoughtful decisions about your infrastructure um and i think that's a good thing yeah. uh so it's it's maybe a code switch if you are coming from traditional agriculture uh where you don't kind of have these uh expanded regulations about how you operate um but i think that it's it's not a bad idea and we're like the vape crisis now we're running into uh opportunities for expanded regulations um so i think we're just like the 36 uh per square foot it's an involvement, mm-hmm. and I think this industry um, has has come so far, but we've got a lot, a long way to go. Yeah, for sure. There's lots of room, lots of work that needs to be done. So if you're looking to get involved in this industry, I'd like to tell everybody it's not too late. We're still in the very beginning. Um, and Definitely we need a lot of not work. too late. Right. Oh, my yeah. God. <laughs> ground floor, people. It's the ground floor. Yeah, and we need yes. more women. We need more women <laughs> in all aspects of this industry. Yeah. Yeah. More smart women. Step up, step up, step up. And, you know, you can use your, your, you know, a lot of people are doing the career transition like I did. You know, you, you start out in a certain career, but you use that, what you learn there, and it transfers over to Canada. Everybody here at the table. Everyone. Everybody. Right? Everyone here. Yeah. Everyone at the table. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's cool. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about your cannabis story. Um, yeah. I want to get into, like, you know, how did you get in- introduced to cannabis? Uh, how did your family respond? Oh, God. All that type of stuff. 
Uh, well, um, so I am originally from New York. Uh, my family actually lives in Texas. So um, we, we were just kind of talking about this before the show as well, that there's you, you kind of find yourself in an echo chamber, uh, <laughs> especially living in Massachusetts, which is, which is a wrecked state. All my friends are into weed. Yeah. Uh, we talk about weed all the time. We're not talking about weed. We're playing video games. Like, it's that's just kind of our life. Uh, and then I like when I am talking, talking to my mom or I talk to my cousins, uh, there's just no, in Texas, there isn't this kind of culture. There isn't this kind of freedom. Uh, and it's it's slowly getting there, but I don't think it'll be there within like, the next. What part of Texas? I'm Austin. I'm saying Austin. Okay. Austin's pretty liberal. Yeah, uh, yeah. My family lives in Carrollton, which is like a little north of Dallas, but uh, they they're very interested, but... Um, there's just when I talk about social consumption or I talk about social equity or the mm-hmm. economic empowerment program, it's uh, those conversations are an involvement of um, first the destigmatizing of the plant mm-hmm. um, and then like the overall like understanding w- the history of the war of drugs. Uh, so it's <laughs> I don't think we're right. I, I don't think uh, Texas is uh, really focused on um, the reparative justice aspect of it because right now they just think that uh, it's uh, you know like wacky tobacco. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> so that's the first step. Destigmatizing is definitely the first step. Um, my cannabis journey actually started. I was a teacher in upstate New York, and um, I don't know. I was. I, I don't think I really like presented myself as what you would consider a typical stoner, even though that I have been an advocate for a while. <laughs> as a teacher, I was very clean cut, but I had a. I uh, wear pearls. I play tennis. Yeah, you know, <laughs> no, no, we all look different, right? Yeah. And, and I think we're getting to the point now where it's like it's yes, we all look different, but yes, we all can see. Let's get out of the closet. Right. Uh, but I had a. Um, I I had someone ask me about. Uh, children with epilepsy and how they could be helped with cannabis and that really started my journey and so um as as a as a real alternative to a lot of the really terrible diseases out there so i I studied i went to colorado um i experimented on my own um and then in 2016 when new york decided to expand its medical program uh the pharma cannabis facility was like a town away. Um, I had uh, a lot of experience in supply chain management from uh, another career outside of being a teacher. And it all just kind of played together. Uh, My family's been really uh, agrarian, so we're always growing. My husband's family, they uh, breed... uh, they breed racehorses, so uh, he grew up on about 40 acres of land in the Hudson Valley. Um, you know, always grew stuff, had a tractor. And having, have it, it just it just made so much sense, and it was always so interesting. Um, and I haven't really looked back from there. That's awesome. Good for you. Good for you. <laughs> that is great. That is awesome. That is awesome. Um, but I want to know about your first time consuming do you remember some people don't oh yeah i remember mine do you remember yours <laughs> i do i totally remember mine um so it, it just it wasn't a good time like, <laughs> like <laughs> that's what some people say yeah it wasn't a good time i didn't understand it uh the and it was just like a couple little puffs from a joint that someone handed me um and then the second time i took this jet i thought i was like you know I was I thought it was a bomb. I was like, oh, I can do this. I'm so good at this. <laughs> so I I took this giant rip from it was a Scooby Doo bong that was mm. like I don't know it like 
the entire chamber was maybe four feet. Oh. So it was like, it, that was my second time. Um, and that got me. That got me pretty good. Yeah. yeah. And then I was, and then, uh, you know, it was uh, about like two in the morning and we were chowing down on some pizza and I was like, oh, I get this. I get this. We were celebrating because it was the end of the semester. So like, yes, I get it. I get this whole thing. Um, And then, uh, you know, farther down in life, learning about like the actual um, medicinal qualities of it and the endocannabinoid system. And then, um, wow, Anslinger was, you know... uh, crappy person and like prosecuted everything and just messed (laughs) everything up yep so uh, it was just conti- it was just so interesting, um, and I also really like smoking pot, so it just made so much sense to do what you love. Yeah, yep. And I think it's good for us to you know explain that we do consume. I mean, yeah, in and work and have successful careers. Yeah, in, in, in businesses. Um, I remember I was uh, when I was growing my plants. I was still trying to figure out a way to travel at the same time because I was managing a group of thirty engineers from D.C. all the way up to Maine. Wow. Um, no. So, it, you know, it, it kind of kept me balanced. I was able to sleep at night. <laughs> yeah. So there's yeah. so many, there's so much benefits to it. And my my background or need for it was more from sports related injuries and mm. just pain management. Right. Uh, but uh, it's it's an incredible plant and it has so much, I think, capacity. Um, to yeah. Help, to help on so many different levels. Yeah. Yeah. I just the so many different levels from like a human to human perspective, too, but also the environment. Uh, so the cannabis plant is a great bioaccumulator. Mm-hmm. Um, so there I, there was something about Chernobyl. There. Uh, right. Can you explain that? Like, I say this to people that don't believe me. Can you say how yeah. cannabis actually helps the, the soil? Yep. Yep. So it's a bioaccumulator, which means that it basically it's uh, it's it's it, it likes to attract it's heavy a sponge. metals. It's yeah. a sponge. It likes to attract hmm. heavy metals, residual pesticides. Um, so if you've got really bad soil for, I mean, it doesn't even have to be as bad as a nuclear reactor explosion. It can just be like... Hopefully not that bad. <laughs> <laughs> if, if you want to basically reset your soil, you plant down uh, a crop and um, you shouldn't consume it uh, because it's been accumulating all of this. Um, but it's it, it'll reset your soil. Uh, and there's a lot of other ways that uh, you can use hemp fiber um, that aren't about uh, consuming it into your body. Um so it's it's not it's not a wasted crop, but the biggest takeaway is that your soil is better after having uh, gone through a cycle. So it's uh, it's it's ridiculous that we have as 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 a society as humans we've lived with this plant harmoniously for so many like, generations. Years. Yeah, <laughs> and we like forgot <laughs> we forgot how integral it is to our. Uh, so the fiber is to our uh, indu- industry how how we should be using it daily um you know as part of the healthy nutrition yeah and we're getting back to it finally. and it's, it's i think it's so hopeful like there's so many unhopeful things in this world but yeah the idea that you know think of this earth if we cut down fewer trees we grew cannabis for paper and all our products and just what a transformational opportunity that is yeah yeah. That's what that's what your shows. That's yeah. what we're focusing that's on. Exactly why we, <laughs> that's why we're here, people. That's why we're doing it. And and you know, I I think if you're a cannabis advocate, if you really love the plant, you have to understand that it came from the earth. So we got to make yeah. sure that we take care of the earth if we're going to take care of the plant. There's so many different things you could do with the fiber, or you know, or the the. So once you once you take off a branch or a stem. You can use the, the outside of it. It's called fiber. And then the inside you, is called herd. You can use that for building materials. Uh, it's got significant strength. I've heard of hempcrete. hempcrete. They're building, they're building hempcrete. houses. That'd be yeah. great for yeah. the wildfire areas. Yeah. 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 Um, but one of the things, unfortunately, it seems, and correct me if I'm wrong, Noni, uh, the waste 
um, management practices that we use in Massachusetts oh, for the gosh. cannabis plant. So once you, when you grow the plant, um, you, we don't, we don't, if we're going to consume it for THC, you only take off the flower. The, you know, there's only one part of the plant you take off, but there's all the rest. There's the leaves and the smaller branches yeah. and the main stems and the and, roots. And what happens to that? All of that stuff has good properties, but what do we do you with have it now? To, you have to have it devalued. So basically, um, you chuck it up in a, uh, a shredder and then you have to mix it with spent soil. Or I think some people are using like cat litter. It's it's basically just, uh, it's, a, it's, it's not... A focus on conservation. Um, in fact, it's not very it's not very environmentally friendly. Uh, but its its purpose is for um, so for diversion. Um, so they want you to devalue anything that's leaving your facility that doesn't have a metric tag on it. Uh, so you take all of this, all of the fibers, all of the spent leaves, um, and you th- put it in a in a in a shredder and then you mix it and then you just get it dumped away Uh, i think there was a i I don't know i don't know if the regulation has passed about uh composting in massachusetts i know that that was definitely something that a lot of people were interested in because why 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 shouldn't you it's it's perfect for compost uh california does composting on a smaller scale um but that is definitely i mean if, if we think about where there can be places of improvement uh that we can legislate on um the waste is definitely wasteful. Yeah. All right. So that that's that's I think that's where we're actually ending our note on. Um, that was amazing. I just the idea. There's so many levels to this in cannabis and conservation. Just we've touched on a few of them today, which is good because we're gonna have a lot of more podcasts to go. So, <laughs> anything you want to do for your little closing? Now, now that our time Noni, is up, do you have anything you want to talk about or or mention while we have the time? I uh, just. This was so awesome. Oh, thank, <laughs> thank you for you. having me. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, thank yeah, you for coming. Thank you for coming. Um, you know, uh, if you want to learn more about me, Asia Atwood, uh, you can check me out at asiaatwood.com. That's A-J-A Atwood, A-T-W-O-O-D.com. Um, and you can learn more about, you know, my uh, my mission and my passion to try to um, improve sustainability, um, not just when it comes to cannabis cultivation, but also when it comes to preserving ourselves from natural disasters and catastrophes and stuff like that. That's my background. Um, and also learn more about my company, Trello Technologies and Trello Grow LST. It's a, an automated plant training solution, but it's got a focus on trying to make things efficient and to reduce energy costs. So. Um, check me out. That's awesome. So today I am so happy for our special host, Asia Atwood. This is her first podcast, but definitely not her last. And I want to give her a big shout out. She's um, she's very humble. But <laughs> <laughs> but just last week, November 7th, she won a big prize at the BU in Green Lion Partners Cannabis Startup Pitch Competition. Woo! Woo! Thank yeah. you, thank you, thank you. So Trello Technologies, it is a place to keep your eye out for. They're amazing. Her, She's amazing. Her guests are going to be amazing. So we're happy to have her. Um, for our special guest today, Noni Goldman of Four Trees. Yep. Uh, how do they reach you if they're interested in reaching you? Um, FourTreesMA.com or you can follow us on Instagram uh, at FourTreesMA. Perfect. I want to thank the podcast garage here in Alston, Mass., Josh Lampkin for writing and performing the Canna Mom theme music. Amy Searles for everything she does to keep the Canna Mom show going. And I want to thank, thank you, you for taking the time to listen to the Canna Mom show, where we are changing the expectations of caregiving and crushing the cannabis stigma, one can of story at a time. And now we are even tackling climate change because we're going to have more of Asia's podcast, The Climate Cannabis Connection. I'm your host, Trace Gerber. Asia Atwood. And this is The Cannamom Show. Awesome.
Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, my name's Kate, and I'm your host of the Pop Moms Podcast. I started the Pop Moms Podcast, well, because I wanted to end the stigma against using cannabis, specifically with moms, but also anyone who chooses to consume. I strive for a balance of humor and education, along with some pretty rad guests, to help combat social biases that come with consuming cannabis. Kids are hard. Join me for regular podcast episodes packed with parenting hacks, real-life stories, and of course, my favorite cannabis products. The days are long, but the years are short. So roll another J and take a deep breath. Keep blazing and stay amazing.